Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, the doctrine of justification, the teaching of justification. Paul says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For the Bible, the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. How can sinners gain God's pardon? How can sinners be righteous before a holy and righteous God? I'd like to take a minute just to give you a brief survey of the main religious groups in our area and how they see how sinners can have forgiveness of sins and be accepted by God. A survey of the main religious groups in our area. There is, of course, Roman Catholicism. How does Roman Catholicism teach sinners can be forgiven and be right with God? It begins in infancy at the moment that little one is born, where that little one is brought into the Catholic Church. They are sprinkled with water, and they believe that the actual sprinkling of that water on the head of the infant, that that washes away original sin that they were born with, and it gives them, it infuses in them righteousness. That justification is something experienced. And then in the outworking of Roman Catholic teaching, that's where you have the, the various sacraments, where as that one grows and learns, uh, he sins. And so how is that sin covered? It wasn't covered by their baptism. Baptism only covered the original sin. It only infused righteousness. So that is worked out that infused righteousness is worked out as they light candles and pray, give to the church, offer confession. And then when they have the mass, communion, Christ is sacrificed again for the sins that they had committed so that sins are forgiven and that they can continue. They never have expectation at the moment of death that they have done enough to immediately enter heaven because they know it will never be enough. And so they have this doctrine called purgatory where after death, they then go to purgatory for any number of thousands and thousands of years until their sins are purged and then they enter into heaven. That's why Catholic faithful are encouraged to pray for their loved ones in heaven. Give, uh, say rosaries of this nature. It helps them get out of purgatory and to get into heaven quicker. Unless you happen to be the Pope and the, the, the College of the Cardinals and then you can declare someone a saint and then they instantly leave purgatory and then go into heaven. And our response should be the same as Martin Luther's. If the Pope can do that just by a simple wave of the pen for one individual, why doesn't he do it for everyone? Then there's liberal Protestantism, liberal Protestantism. What would be some groups here? I think particularly of the Presbyterian Church, the United States of America. Um, there, I'll also throw in there the United Methodist Church. Now, there are genuine believers in some of these churches. I would say more probably in the United Methodist Church in our area than in the, the PC, the Presbyterian Church. But if you look at their organization, what, they're, what they do, what they're committed to, the basic approach that they have, you just need to live a good life. 
You need to love each other and accept each other and one another. You need to be welcoming and affirming. You need to be devoted to doing good in this life, a social gospel, if you will. Then there's the Amish. What do the Amish believe about how sins can be forgiven and how they can be right before God? Well, it's pretty simple. Obey the church and stay Amish. That's basically how it is. And even then, at the end of their life, they will not have a sure knowledge and belief. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've been faithful enough. Then there are other churches like ours. There might even be some present here this morning that believe this is how my sins are forgiven and this is how I'm right with God. I respond to an invitation. I get baptized and join the church. I go through Christian education, whether that be homeschooling or a Christian school. I do all the right things. I toe the line. I look right, act right. I don't chew, don't smoke, don't hang with those who do. And you know how that expression goes. Where's the focus there? Me. I did this. That is no different, really, than Roman Catholicism or any other works religion. We could also consider uh, those that might fall under the umbrella of Christianity, such as Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, where, again, the emphasis is, is on doing their works, being faithful. These are all based on works. It's just a little different twist, a little different uh, ways of saying the same things. They're saying, yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm guilty, and I'm condemned, but I'm pardoned. I am pardoned. I hope to be pardoned by a holy and righteous God because I have earned it. I've gone through these motions and I've earned it. I anticipate that I will be accepted by God and He will declare me as having the same kind of holiness He has because of what I have done. I have made myself, as it were, as holy and righteous as God. Well, note with each one of these, it is what they say. And you might say, well, pastor, you're going to tell us something different. How is what you're saying different from what, uh, what they're saying? Well, what should I be saying? I should be telling you what God himself says, right? And so I would encourage you, don't believe it because I said it. Be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. Get into the scriptures and see, is this true? This is the standard. This is the rule. But that's why I also read verse 16 in chapter 2. He's made very clear, we are not saved by our works. We're not justified by our works. We're justified by faith in Christ. So what exactly is involved in justification, being declared righteous? That's what justification means. It means to be declared righteous. It's not an experience like, ooh, I just got this infusion of righteousness and now I can live that out. That's a different doctrine. We'll get to that next week with sanctification. This is from the perspective of a guilty sinner and his righteous judge. 
being declared righteous, free from God, free from sin, and standing before God, hear this, standing before God as righteous as Christ. He sees you, Christian, and he sees you as righteous as Christ. Not in our daily life. We're growing in that, but in your position before him because you're in Christ. I'm going to use an illustration through each one of these 12 points here. And that the illustration is that of your mom making a birthday cake. Your mom's made a birthday cake for your sister or your brother. And you saw that birthday cake. And you're not a diabetic like me. And that birthday cake looks really good. And you don't want to wait until your birthday. And so you decide, I'm going to cut myself a piece of that birthday cake. I'm going to help myself to that. Even though your mom said, don't eat that cake. Don't touch that cake. That is mom's law in this regard. Well, you cut out a piece of that cake and you eat that cake. What is the fact? The fact is, is that you disobeyed. What happened to that beautiful cake that mom made? There's a chunk missing. You have become a cake destroyer. Doesn't that sound ominous? You've become a cake destroyer. What's your standing before mom right now? Your standing before mom is you have broke mom's law. You have disobeyed. You are a cake wrecker. What's the punishment? There better be a punishment because you broke mom's law. I thought about bringing our instruments of discipline. It's a nice little piece of wood about this long. It was used on my brother and I. It was used on every one of my six kids. There's chunks missing from that instrument of discipline because on more than one occasion, somebody put up their foot with a shoe on as it was coming down and it kind of had an effect on that. What if you say to your mom, the punishment's coming and you'll say, mom, 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 wait, I'll clean my room. I'll do my chores. Just as long as you don't give me that discipline and that punishment. Does that change the fact that you broke mom's law? Does it change your standing as a cake wrecker? Does it really satisfy the punishment? No, it doesn't. In fact, what's going on is you are supposed to do your chores. You are supposed to clean your room. That's not going to help your situation because you're supposed to be doing those things to begin with. But you have broken mom's law. This is the parallel I'm going to draw through these. Now remember, with illustrations, they are never perfect, okay? So you got to cut me a little slack on that. Look at the main point, especially with one point as we get to them. Let's look at the essential aspects of a God pardoning the guilty and declaring them righteous. Number one, God is holy and righteous. God is holy and righteous. He is absolutely pure morally. There is no imperfection in him. His righteousness means that everything about God, what he thinks, what he says, what he does, is righteous. And what that means, it lines up with his fundamental attribute of holiness. 
Everything he does is righteous. Everything he does is holy. His plans are holy. His love is holy. So when someone tells you God is love and he'll just let everybody into heaven, his love is a holy love. Think of his love as a train and the tracks that is that holiness runs on and is directed by is his holiness. But sadly, some people change God into their image and they bring God down to their level. What's this have to do with the birthday cake? How do we illustrate that? Well, what did your mom say? Keep the cake perfect. Keep the cake perfect. Number two, a second truth about justification. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone is a sinner. This talks about your legal status. This is talking about your legal status. You are guilty and condemned. Doesn't matter your culture, your religious background, who your parents are, you are guilty. You go through a stop sign with a state police right there, he gives you a ticket, you are what? Guilty. I don't feel guilty, but guess what? You are guilty. And you are condemned. Thankfully not to death, but you are condemned on an amount of, say, I don't know, $120. I don't feel guilty, I don't feel condemned, but your pocketbook's going to show it, isn't it? You destroyed the cake, and you are responsible. You have broken God's law. You've fallen short of his character. You are responsible. Number three, the law is powerless. The law is powerless to justify sinners, to change their legal standing. The law is powerless to do that. The law declared God's character and God's expectations for the nation of Israel and every part of their lives. But the law is powerless when it comes to sin. All the law can do is say, this is what God expects. And the law also does a really good job at pointing out those who have broken the law. This is what I expect. And, oh, you've broken the law. That's all it can do. It can declare it and condemn. That's all the law can do. So you didn't obey mom's law. You destroyed the cake. And all mom's law can do is identify who has broken the law, who has condemned it, who, who is thus condemned. Number four, sinners cannot be saved by their works. That's what we read here in chapter 2, verse 16. Sinners cannot be saved by their works. Before a holy and righteous God, sinners stand guilty and condemned. And yet there's those who think that they can earn pardon. They can earn it and they can become righteous by keeping God's law as a lawbreaker. Remember what I said? That little one who broke the cake and is about to be punished and he says what? I'll do my chores. I'll clean my room. You're supposed to do those things already, aren't you? Those things can't deal with the transgression, the breaking of mom's law. Cake destroyers who still clean their room they are still cake destroyers. It doesn't change the facts. It doesn't change your standing. 
you are still guilty. Number five, Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus lived a sinless life. How often did Jesus live a sinless life? Always. In every situation, everything he thought was holy and righteous. Imagine that. Everything he thought, everything that he desired, his desires were holy and righteous. Everything he said lined up with God's character and fulfilled God's commands. Everything. Everything he did was exactly what it should be. We could put it this way. Jesus always obeyed his mom. And that's the truth, isn't it? He did. He was in subjection, Luke 2 tells us. He was in subjection to his parents. He obeyed his mom. Number six. This is an important one. They're all important. Number six. Jesus died for sinners, not as one. He died for sinners, not as a sinner. There's a big difference there, isn't it? In God's courtroom, you have the sinner who is guilty. He's broken God's law. He's been identified as such. And then you have Jesus. How does Jesus stand before the holy and righteous judge? Perfect, righteous. And what did he do? He said, I will take your guilt. I will take the condemnation, the judgment you deserve. I will take that. He didn't have any guilt. He didn't have any condemnation of his own. But he suffered for others. Our sin. He endured our punishment. So how could we illustrate this with a cake? Now remember what I said about, you got to cut me a little slack here, okay? Your mom took your punishment that you deserved. She was innocent, wasn't she? She took your place. So she, she took that discipline. Number seven. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Remember, he didn't die as a sinner. He died for sinners. And what that means is sin could not hold him. He paid the price in full. It could not hold him. Because he was righteous. He defeated sin and death. He rose in the same body that he was crucified in. Number eight, because his body was not corrupted by sin. Number eight, sinners can only be saved from sin's power and penalty by faith alone and Christ alone. Faith alone and Christ alone. Relying on who Jesus is and what he did and receiving that. Remember what that involves, saving faith from last week? It involves knowing who is Jesus and what did he do. It involves welcoming that in our life and wholeheartedly affirming it. Yes, I agree. I'm a sinner and only Jesus can save me. And it requires unreserved trust, submission, obedience, and following him. These aspects are all involved with saving faith. Number 10, I'm sorry, number 9. God declares believers in Christ to be righteous before him. He declares believers in Christ to be righteous before him. Because Christ suffered for sinners, everyone who believes in him is not condemned. 
the debts paid in full. Remember Romans 5.1? Having been justified by faith, what do we have? What do believers have? Having been justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God. Now there in that context, that peace is not talking about the inner peace. There are passages that talk about that. When you walk with the Spirit, when you walk with the Spirit and you give your uh, cares, anxieties, concern to the Lord, He sends a peace that guards your heart and mind. That is absolutely true. But in Romans 5.1, it's talking about your standing before a God who is angry as a judge with a sinner that is taken away. Your sins wiped out. It's been pardoned. And not only that, you have a righteous standing before Him. Jesus lived a perfect life. And His righteousness is imputed or credited to your account. Why is that important? Isn't it enough to just have your sins wiped out? No, because then you're standing before God is, well, nothing. And that's impossible. You are either righteous or unrighteous. You need the amount of righteousness, the kind of righteousness that is exactly like God, and you can never earn that. The only way you can have God's kind of righteousness is by relying on Christ, trusting in Him, believing in Him. And when you do, not only is your sin wiped out because of His death that paid the price, but by His righteous life, His righteous life is credited to your account. You've gone from being way in the negative, infinite, to way in the positive with Christ's righteousness. You can never earn that. And this is important, nothing less than that infinite amount of righteousness, nothing less than that is required to be accepted by God. Nothing less. So let's get back to the birthday cake. Because of the deliverance that you received, mom doesn't view you anymore as a cake destroyer. He views you now as one who is a cake keeper. Now there's still some results from that that has to be worked out in life. Remember, don't press all the details, okay? And that doesn't happen in real life. I mean, you did destroy the cake. But God views you, this is sometimes how it's said, as if you never sinned. But have you sinned? Yeah. But when you stand before the Lord, as you stand before the Lord, now you are declared righteous. I'd encourage you to think about that. Maybe not this afternoon if you're playing volleyball. That might be kind of difficult. But just settle your mind on God views me because I'm in Christ. God views me as completely righteous. I know I'm not that way in my life. We'll talk about that next week when we look at sanctification. But he views you, Christian, as holy, entirely, and perfectly righteous. This is your standing before him. It has to be worked out in life, but it's your standing before him. Number 10. The essence of justification is grace. The essence of justification is grace. Who deserves to have their sins forgiven? 
Who deserves to receive Christ's righteousness? No one. No one can earn that. As a guilty and condemned cake destroyer, you couldn't do anything to make things right. But mom, because she loved you and entirely of her own initiative, has forgiven you. It's as if it never happened. You're in a right standing with her. Number 11, justification locks in every blessing of salvation. It locks in every blessing of salvation. You have peace with God. You are united with Christ. You have been brought into his family, adopted. You are treated as holy. You have a sure salvation. You have eternal security. You have the ability to know for certain in this life now that you have eternal life, 1 John 5.13. Not because of your works, but because of what Jesus has done. It locks in every blessing of salvation. Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, Jude, they all say this in one way, shape, or form. They don't say you'll get eternal life someday. They say you have eternal life. It's a, something you have now. It is a present possession. You know what? Not only do you get to eat birthday cake, you get some presents too. And you say, I didn't deserve that. Exactly. Exactly. We deserve nothing from God. But He has showered above and beyond more than we could have asked and deserved. Last, number 12. Believers prove their faith is genuine by good works. Believers prove their faith is genuine by good works. Are you saved because of your works? No way. Could never do it. How do you know if you've got true faith? James talks about this in James chapter 2. A genuine faith is a working faith. It obeys. It does what's right. It gives. It supplies. Justifications revealed by faith. I'm sorry, received by faith. Justifications received by faith, it's shown by our works. So you never destroy cakes anymore. You do what's right because you love the Lord and you want to please Him. What's the difference between destroying a cake, disobeying your mom, and breaking the law of an infinitely holy and righteous God? Infinite distance. Infinite distance. I can still remember the fear, the sense of woe when I got caught as a young boy doing something wrong because I knew what I was what was going to happen. I distinctly remember when I learned some things from kids on a playground and I repeated it at home. I had no idea it was wrong. Oh boy. I got real close. 
with Irish Spring soap. You know what I'm talking about? Real close. But I didn't know. You are going to learn that does not come out of your mouth. It doesn't come anywhere close to an infinite God. Because his punishment lasts how long? Infinitely. Forever. You might say, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem fair. How can, you know, I just sinned. It only took a little bit of time. How can that earn, how can that deserve eternity in hell? It's not the amount of time it took. It's who you've sinned against. You have sinned against what kind of a God? A limitless and infinite God. Infinite holiness. Infinite righteousness. And He made you in His image to reflect perfectly His holiness and His righteousness. But instead, we as sinners, we've taken these good things from God and we've warped them. We've perverted them. We've taken these good things from God. We've used them for our own proud, selfish ends. And that rightly calls for God's judgment. But God so loved the world that what? He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him knows, affirms, unreserved trust in Him. They will be justified I'd encourage you to ask unbelievers when you have opportunity, lengthy opportunity perhaps, or maybe even in passing. It depends on the circumstance. Ask them, what are you depending on for forgiveness of sins? Or maybe more specifically, who are you depending on for your sins to be forgiven? Who are you depending on to be good enough to enter heaven, to have eternal life? Who are you depending on? They may say, well, I'm Jesus. Follow up. Don't just take that as, oh, okay. Ask them then, well, who is Jesus? Why are you depending on him? What did he do? Well, uh, he was a good guy. He taught some good things and he gave us a good example. You have just learned right there, you've got some teaching to do because they have an incomplete knowledge of who Jesus was. Was he a good man? Absolutely. Did he teach some good things? Yep. Is that all he did? No. You must teach the gospel. And as I said so many times, we cannot have this attitude of, you know, from the point you get in an elevator to the time you get out, you got to lead him to Christ real quick. Teaching the gospel takes time. It takes time. Yes, some are saved the first time they read a gospel tract. And praise the Lord, my father-in-law, one of them. But more often than not, it takes repeated teaching. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, ask them, why are you depending on him? What does it mean to believe in faith? Ask them, what role do your good works have in eternal life? What role do your good works have in eternal life? And they say, well, they're, they're kind of important. You know, i got to be good to go to heaven. You just learn you have some teaching to do, don't you? And so you start going to those passages like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Titus 3, 5, or this one here, Galatians 2, 16. 
and you start teaching about how can sinners be right before a holy God? You start teaching about justification. Quick, don't use the word justification with an unbeliever because they're going to look at you like what? What are you talking about? What do you mean is this justified? Talk to them about forgiveness of sins and being as perfect as God is perfect. That's what we're talking about. These are the two main aspects of justification. And the only way that your sins can be pardoned and that you can be as righteous in God's eyes as Christ is, is if you turn from your sin and you rely wholly, completely, and entirely in Jesus Christ. Christian, what a salvation you have. And what a message we have. And we must give to the lost. We must give to those who are being deceived by false teaching. And what a spirit we have that works the word of God with power and effectiveness, as Paul said here. The gospel worked powerfully through Peter, effectively with Jews, and Paul with the Gentiles. The effectiveness is not in you and me. Where's the effectiveness? It's with the Lord using his promises. And so we must depend on that.